Stand with me as we read through Psalm chapter 8. Short chapter. Starting at verse 1. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth! You have set Your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants You have established strength because of Your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You are uh, supreme and that You rule all things. And Father, I pray that as we look into Your name this morning, that You would teach us and instruct us in the ways of truth and understanding, that we might know who You are, And that we might put our trust and our hope even more so into You. We thank You. We praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I have found over the course of growing up that I was, uh, you might call a stubborn child. And sometimes I see that in my own children. Um, I didn't do well with being told what to do. Um, when I was in, for example, this will show you the absolute ridiculousness of it, when I was in church Bible quiz many, many years ago, um, my parents were my coaches, and they would encourage me and tell me I needed to study, and whenever they would encourage me and tell me I needed to do something, I usually did the exact opposite. And so I wouldn't, and I was uh, not very committed to it, and I was not very uh, in-depth in uh, in, in it. And when they stopped encouraging me to do it and telling me to do it, I then did the exact opposite, and I started studying really hard and became competitive in, in various things. And that was like a typical uh, event in the life of growing up as Nate Schumacher, that when somebody would tell me to do something, I typically tried to do the opposite. I mean... When I think back to that, I realize how stupid it is, so you don't have to tell me later on how dumb it was. I already know that, but that was the typical heart that was going on inside of me. And I find it interesting that so oftentimes I see that in my own children, I see that in people that I I would counsel or whatever it might be, that sometimes um, we have this ingrained rebellion in our heart, right? From the fall of man, we, we want to do. If you teach a toddler how to tie their shoe, they will struggle and fight for a whole year if they have to, just so that you don't help them. Because they want to do it on their own. And I wonder how oftentimes God looks at us when we see that foolishness and we think, how silly, just let me help you. How oftentimes God is saying that to us, but in His grace and mercy, He is patient with us. 
Well, this morning, as I think through all that, as we walk through this text and we walk through this name of God, the name being Adonai, Adonai, it's in the very first verse, it says, O Lord, and that uh, Lord there is all capitals, you notice, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, that Lord in all capitals always signifies Yahweh or Jehovah, depending on how it is pronounced, Um, but so it says, O Yahweh, our Adonai. And this is not the first time Adonai is used, but Adonai is used about 300 times in the Old Testament, and it means Lord, Master, or Owner. It's used as the name of God about 300 times, like I said. It's also used of humans, but in a different context, um, uh, uh, meaning Sir or Master. Um, But whenever it's used of God, it is used almost exclusively in the plural and the possessive. And we talked about this a little bit with Elohim. And it's that same concept that it's uh, kind of signifying, identifying with the Trinity. And it's possessive, which I find is very interesting as well when we talk about master, owner. So Adonai, almost always plural, possessive. So let's look real briefly. We'll, look, we'll walk through this text and then I want to uh, kind of walk after that into some kind of concepts that uh, are applicable to our life. So first of all, the context of this name. Psalm 8 gives us an incredibly uh, a majestic, a great picture to set the tone in our minds of what Adonai means for us. The first thing that the chapter starts out with is a call, right? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set the your glory above the heavens. The call, the greatness of His person. O Lord, our Lord. It's, a, it's an admiration and a statement of praise. It is an identification that He is majestic and that His name is in all the earth, above all. He has set His glory above. And what, a, what, a, what we need to start to see here with Adonai is that He is master of all. He is master of all. And there are countless times where Adonai is used in Scripture and it implies and it indicates and that identification of Master. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 14 through 16. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet the Lord set His heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring. And it goes on. And over and over again in Scripture, we see countless times where the, the, the creation and everything is referred to as the Lord. Psalm 89, verse 11, The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it. You have founded them. 1 Corinthians 10.26 For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Psalm 24, verse 1 The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. That's only a small snapshot of the countless verses that reference Adonai as the owner of all. It's almost as if the Bible wants us to understand a very important concept that identifies God as master of owner of all that's the very first most important thing when we start to look at this name Adonai that we have to gather from it so he says O Lord our Lord the psalmist declaring how majestic is your name in all the earth you have set your glory above the heavens 
Out of the mouth of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the avenger and the enemy. And then the psalmist goes into a contemplative mode. He says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Have you ever paused? You know, the other day we were driving home from somewhere and we saw this gigantic moon. It's incredible. You pause and you look at a sunrise or a sunset, the incredible nature of things, the beauty of God's creation. I've never been there. I desire to go there and I want to take my kids someday. The Grand Canyon, that when you see it, you just break out in, in praise. Like, wow! This is unbelievable. And when you, if you stop and, and consider that, as the psalmist does, you, you naturally think, why, God, do you care about me when you have the entire universe? Why do you take a moment's thought about me? Why? There's a consideration here, and the consideration that I think the psalmist wants us to understand is that there is no comparison to the greatness of God. In Isaiah chapter 40, verses 25 and 26, it says, To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and see on high. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. When we start to consider Adonai, what we need to start to gather together is number one, the call that He is so great and marvelous that He owns all things, to consider His greatness, His power. In fact, in the Psalm 8 here, it says that uh, uh, you have established strength. How? Out of the mouth of babes and infants. And essentially what He's saying there is your enemies, they're so weak that they are like babies compared to your great power and might. And then when I look at the grandness of creation, you are spectacular and there is no one in comparison. This is a bursting forth of praise from the psalmist. When I think of this, I think of uh, when Jesus was with His disciples and, and they got into the boat and the, the storm rises up and, and they, they wake Jesus up and they're like, we're drowning Jesus, can you do something about it? And Jesus stands up and He rebukes the wind and the waves. Stop! And everything stops and it says the disciples were filled with fear. Who is this that He commands even the winds and the waves? It's Adonai. And so there's a curiosity that comes about from the psalmist here. He says, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And then God instructs through the psalmist he says, you have given him dominion over the works of, the hand, of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. So in this passage, we have a context. It starts with a call to the Adonai, the Master. A reflection on that. And then a charge that he says, as your master, I'm going to give you instruction. And your instruction is to take care of that which I've created. 
And why this is important is because it's going to lay for us, it is laying for us a foundation of what Adonai means and what we need to understand, what this context is, is I want us to grab hold of the idea that Adonai means master, owner of all things, that he is in charge of everything, that he dictates and declares everything, and he is to be obeyed. And I think when we look at that, the call of this name, the, the, the implications for us, it starts with a few things we need to understand. Number one, a relationship. A relationship. Adonai tells us of a master-servant relationship. In Deuteronomy 10, verse 17, uh, it says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. In there it says the Adonai of Adonais. And what that means is that He is the Master of all masters. It is a statement, an idiom, that declares that He is to be in charge of all things and His authority is not to be questioned. That He is sovereign, He is great and glorious, and He is Master. And in this, we need to look at it, and, and sometimes we have a concept of slavery, and, and, and we think of slavery in the context of our society and what slavery has meant, but in the context of Old Testament, and in the context of, of the history that's going on, there is a different type of understanding that we need to understand here, is that a master-servant relationship in these days, as God is speaking to His people, was very different. It was a relationship that was based on love and compassion. It starts first with an, an initiation that He is Master and we are His servants. And He is our Master um, because He has created us and He has purchased us, right? So when we start talking about a Master-Servant relationship... Um, how and why does God get to reign over us? Well, because He created us and He purchased us, right? 1 Corinthians 6.20 That He uh, uh, has bought us at a price. And so when we talk about this relationship that He is Master and we are servants, it starts with uh, this idea that He created us and He purchased us, but not only that, He is Lord and I love when we get into debates about lordship and lordship salvation and, and how this all works. And let me just tell you that His lordship is never subject to our beliefs. No matter what we say or do, He is Lord no matter what. He will always be Lord. He will always be Adonai. He will always be Master and Creator. He is not subject to our belief or our submissiveness. He is always Lord to reign supreme no matter what. And He will always be the Lord and Master. And when we talk about this relationship of Adonai, Master-Servant, there is this initiation that because He has made us and because He has purchased us, it, he, he didn't need both. He really only needed one. But what an amazing thing that not only did He, he create us and we rebelled against us and He purchased us, so He double-owns us, um, it's the master-servant relationship, but there's also, and this is what's so beautiful in the context of the Old Testament with Adonai, is there's an intimacy. He's a good and faithful master. 
Um, it's a wonderful picture in Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, we have this, this story, this account. It says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, In the year that Uzziah died, I saw a vision of the Lord. And Isaiah, writing this, had his master die. His master was Uzziah. And in the moment of grief and despair, he needed someone. Because in the Old Testament, a master was a loving figure. In fact, in, in, in uh, the passage we just read last week when talking about Abraham, Abraham looked at his servant, Eleazar, and said, this is my heir. His servant was, was to be cared for and loved. In fact, in, in the Old Testament, a servant participated with the family in meals participated with the family in feasts, participated with the family in activities. They were a part of the family. And here in, in, in Abraham's case, he looked around, he had no descendants, and he said, this guy, my servant, is my heir. He will take my possessions when I pass away. Because he had the right to do so. And here we have in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, Isaiah looking around, seeing his master, his 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 one that he was servant to had passed away. And God gives him a vision of a master, Adonai, who is high and lifted up. Who is greater than his earthly master. And so you get this incredible picture. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw God sitting on a throne high and lifted up. Adonai. And he could take comfort in that. And he could take care in that. There's an intimacy in this relationship. There's also a responsibility we must understand in regards to this name Adonai. The name informs us of our responsibility, and this is where it gets hard as Christians, to obey. It implies and it informs us of a responsibility to obey. There's an expectation, right? What a master asks, he expects his servants to do. You read through some difficult passages in the New Testament where we are told, uh, I think it was one of the elders uh, shared a passage of Scripture the other day on, on our message board, and it talked about how um, the, the wicked servant who has and does not obey will be punished more severely. Wow, that's a hard one to take. I walk through with my children an understanding of what obedience is. And is it unreasonable for me as a father to ask my child to obey the things I tell them? In their little mind, it is. And we hear the things that God the Father, as Adonai, asks us as Master because He has, remember, He has initiated that relationship by uh, uh, creating us and by purchasing us. And He loves us and cares for us in an intimate way that, that we need to understand. And, and as Master, He then asks us things and there is an expectation that is more than reasonable that what He asks, we should do. And there are countless things in Scripture that kind of walk on that. It says that, that we should do it willingly. 
willingly offering ourselves. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says this is your reasonable act of service, that you would uh, uh, transform your mind, that you would be conformed into Him, and that you will do the things that He asks of you. It is something that we ought to do willingly to offer ourselves. We are told that this means doing what He says. In 1 Peter 1, verses 14 and 15, it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also should be holy in all your conduct. And there's another aspect of this that sometimes I think we lose. And the aspect is that um, if you don't know what you're supposed to do, you're obligated to figure it out. Well, I don't know what the Lord wants me to do. I don't know what the Lord wants me to do. Ignorance is never acceptable. In fact, uh, 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 Paul writes to the Ephesians and he says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He wants us to. God has declared His Word. And by the way, if, it, if we would be willing to look through Scriptures and take a cursory examination, we will find very quickly that it's not too complicated to figure out what the will of the Lord is. So sometimes we don't want to find it because it costs us dearly. Please understand that there is no excuse to say, I didn't know. So there's a responsibility. When we hear the term Adonai, I want us to think of a relationship. I want us to think of a responsibility. And the responsibility ultimately is to obey. There is an expectation with that, that what He asks, He expects us to do. And there is an examination that will come one day. Jeremiah talks about the day of Adonai. And Paul later on would talk about a day where we will be brought before the Lord and asked, you know, what did you do with what I entrusted to you? Matthew chapter 25, verse 23. This is our ultimate goal, right? As Christians, as Christians, we desire to get to a place where when we stand before Jesus in glory, He's going to look at us and the Master will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your Master. Our responsibility with an examination. And, and not to be outdone, there are examples, countless in Scripture, of people who saw Adonai and their lives were transformed. Paul, right? Paul on his way to Damascus, he's, he's been zealously pursuing Christians to put them to death, to do what he thought God desired of him. And, and Jesus, Adonai, his master, uh, uh, knocks him off of his horse. And, and, and what an incredible uh, uh, account. If you read Acts chapter 9, it talks about how uh, uh, Paul sees Jesus and he says, Lord Adonai, what do you want me to do? If only as brothers and sisters we recognized that name and had that same kind of response, right? Adonai, what do you want me to do? And it became such a profound thing for Paul. We can read through the entire book of Acts and, 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 and his epistles and see a life transformed to the point where in Acts chapter 20, verses 23 and 24, it says that uh, I know that the Holy Spirit has witnessed to me that 
Bonds and affliction, arrests, imprisonment, even death are what await me. And Paul says, but none of those things move me, neither are they dear unto my life, except that I would finish the task which has been given to me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. That's a man who recognized Adonai, who recognized a responsibility, who recognized that in it was a relationship with God. Paul, a great example. Jesus, an even better example, right? Even though he is Adonai, he was willing to demonstrate obedience to the Father. Over and over again, we get different glimpses of Jesus and his subjection and obedience to the ultimate Adonai, God the Father. In the Garden of Eden, Jesus is praying, right? He's saying, I don't want to die. That's essentially what he's saying. Is there another way? He says, but not my will. It's yours be done. I will obey. And later on, in, I mean, earlier on, it says in, in Luke that Jesus had set his face like a flint, that he was determined to go into obedience. Jesus would tell his disciples over and over again, I am here to do not my will, but the will of the Father, the one who sent me. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17, it says, uh, uh, oh, that's the wrong reference. I mean, it's a great verse, but it's not the right reference. But Philippians chapter 2, right? This is the mind we ought to have among ourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality uh, with God a thing to be grasped, but what? He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. Jesus would gather His disciples together in John chapter 13. He says to them, You call Me Teacher and Lord, Adonai, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the, your Lord, your Adonai and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. And at this point, in the text, and at this point in a sermon, my heart cries out, rebel, rebel, rebel. I don't want to do that. So, so you're telling me, Pastor, that, that God is just a master, and I am His slave, and I am just subject to whatever He desires me to do, and I am just to obey without question. That sounds like a cult, right? That we just obey without questioning, and, and that's what authority is all about. It's about control. But there is a reasonableness that I want us to understand when it comes to all of this. That if we understand the relationship that He has created you, He has bought you, we understand a responsibility that what He asks of us, He desires us to do, He expects us to do. It is not just a, will you please do this? It is, you need to do this. There is a reasonableness that I want us to understand that what God asks of His servants is never unreasonable. He does not ask what cannot be performed. He never requires a task for which He does not equip His servants. Consider this, that when He asks, He has already, already promised, and you can write these down, three things. The Master promises His presence. Whenever God whether it's in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, asks His servants to do something, He always follows it up with, I am with you always. 
I will go with you. In Joshua chapter 1, he's telling his people, be of good courage. Go, take the land. So he says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. To Isaiah in a very dark time, in a time where the people have been carried off to Babylon and more people are being carried off and, and God is speaking to Isaiah and He says to him in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my right hand. In Deuteronomy, as God lays out the new covenant with His people, this, this incredibly rigorous, impossible task that they would be perfect and obedient in all that He declares to them, He closes it out with this promise. He says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, your enemies, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Jesus, in looking at His disciples, He commands them. He says, go out into all the world and make disciples of every nation, teaching them to obey, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Lo, I am with you to the very ends. Later on in Acts, we read again the same account, essentially, where He says, go and do this. And He says, I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. In Hebrews Chapter 13, verse 5, we get this challenge. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. That sounds like a very hard thing to do. And what does he say? For I will be with you and I will never leave you nor forsake you. Brothers and sisters, he asks us things and he promises his presence. That's Adonai. His presence, He promises His provision. He will provide all they need to accomplish their tasks. So when God asks, He's there and He provides. And He also protects. He will protect them as they accomplish their tasks. So what's the application? How do we bring all this together? Adonai, I want us to understand, Adonai means a, re a relationship. A responsibility, a reasonableness. And what a picture as we draw all these Old Testament names to the New Testament and we think of God and His declaration, right? We think of the entire concept of what this book is all about. It's about the unfolding drama of redemption from beginning to end. And, and here's the command of God from the very beginning. I want you to grasp this. The command is obedience to perfection. Jesus, in talking to the crowds, He says to them as He sees the Pharisees, He says, accept your righteousness. Be greater than then the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he ends that chapter, that Sermon on the Mount, he goes on, he says, here's the call, be perfect. Brothers and sisters, that's the command of God to us as individuals. Be perfect. That's Adonai's challenge and charge to us. Be perfect. It's impossible. From start to finish, this book is about being holy. 
without blemish, without fault, without sin, without any of these things. And, and it's impossible. And here's why the beauty of Adonai comes in. Because in the midst of all of this, when God commands, He provides. That Adonai Himself would come. That God would so love the world that He gave His one and only begotten Son. That He would come as Emmanuel, which we'll look at next week, that He would dwell among us. That as we read at the very beginning of our service, that, that since the children have flesh and blood, He too participated so that through His death He could do what no man could do, which was perfect obedience. That He would provide. And so the call is this. And here is the Gospel, brothers and sisters. Adonai should remind us that God's call is to perfection and we can never be perfect. And so God provides our perfection for us. There's an incredible verse that Paul would write to the Corinthians. Here is what Christ is for you. Because of Him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. God's call to the covenant is perfection and we can never achieve it. So as Adonai, he says, I know they can't do it, but I will provide for them that, that through Jesus Christ that anyone who would receive and believe in Him would receive wisdom, would receive righteousness, would receive sanctification, and would receive redemption. And so through Adonai's call to perfection, God provides Jesus Christ so that we can achieve it. That's the Gospel. Sometimes people look at this Bible and they look at the drama of redemption and they say, well, God just forgave and He overlooked at it. And He just said, that's not how the Gospel works, brothers and sisters. God declared perfection and the result was that we couldn't do it and so He provides Jesus. And so if we are to be thankful at Thanksgiving, here's what you ought to be thankful for. That in Christ I have wisdom, I have righteousness, I have redemption, and I have sanctification. And if you are sitting here today and that is not true for you, know that the call of Adonai to perfection is not revoked. There's two ways to heaven. Perfection and a righteousness through Jesus Christ. You'll never achieve this one. But the demand is still there. It's never revoked. But God never asks us to do something that we cannot do for which He will not provide. As we think through Adonai, I want us to think through the Master has called and are you obeying? I hope it's not said of us that we are not doing what He has asked. James declares, be you not just hearers of the Word, but be doers of the Word. Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, it says, This people honors Me with their lips, but their hearts are far from Me. There are many who claim Jesus as their Master, but they aren't obeying. So what are some of the things that He asks of us? And we're not going to have time to go through all of the commands that Christ lays out, all the instructions, but I'll give you a few things to think through and ask yourself, am I obeying? Are these things in my heart that as Adonai He has declared? 
He says, make disciples. Teaching others the things that I have taught, He says. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How about love one another? Jesus in that upper room, as He gathered His disciples, He says, a new commandment I give to you, although it's not a new one, it's one that you need to apply to your life, and it's that you would love one another. And so the world would know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. How about this fun one? Forgive one another. Jesus talking to a crowd, He says, pay attention to yourselves. And it's got an exclamation point. I think when I read that, uh, uh, light bulbs and, and flashes should go off. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, listen to what Jesus says. You must forgive. Not you should. You must Forgive. We all have things in our life where we've had to deal with somebody who has hurt or offended us or somebody who has done something to us, who has wronged us. And the call is this, you must forgive. I wonder if we can just take some time and consider what is He calling you to now? And what I find is a hard thing for me is asking what areas of my life have I withheld from Him? Matthew chapter 6. This is ultimately, when I think of Adonai as I sat and I laid down, or I, I sat down to study this and I began to think through, okay, what am I going to communicate? What is, the, what is Adonai, when I think of it, what are the things that come to my mind? I think of creation obeying. I think of stars following out His commands. I think of His servants being called and some obeying and some not. I think of, of Jesus declaring, well done, good and faithful servant, and that is my delight and my desire, my longing for. But I also think of this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And of course here Jesus references, you cannot serve God and money. But you can replace money with a lot of things, can't you? You cannot serve God and this world. You cannot serve God and, and this one stings, family. Oh, family is important. Absolutely. You cannot serve God and religion. There are many things. The reality is there's one that will be sovereign in your life. And He is to be sovereign over all things. 
When we think of Adonai, I want us to think through that. I want to think of a master who loves his children, who loves his servants, who wants to do, who provides, who doesn't ask us to ever do anything that is impossible. I mean, there's been many times in my life where God has asked me to do something, and the immediate thought is, I can't do that. I can't do that. It would be too hard. It would be too painful. You know why it's painful? Because our hearts have been wrapped around whatever that is so tight that it's going to hurt when you rip it out. There are so many things in our life that we have made the treasure of our life that is not Jesus. Come to my house, and especially in the, the spring slash summer, you'll see um, these vines growing on our trees. And they've got these wonderful leaves on them. Things that my wife cannot touch. Poison ivy. And they wrap around the tree, and, and for some reason, I think it's because this way, it's one of the ways I can be a hero to my wife. God has not made me allergic to poison ivy. Um, now, I've tested my limits on that, and one of these days, I'm probably going to regret it. But I have to go in, and, and you cut it, and there's these, like, fingers. I don't know what it is. But if you've ever seen a vine, it doesn't have to be poison ivy, but you see a vine, it, like, it it wraps its like little tentacles. It's like a little centipede. I don't know how to describe it. But you know what I'm talking about, right? And it, and it clings to it. And, and when you start to pull it off, it's like they're just grabbing and holding on for dear life. And, and there have been times where I've been ripping and it's been so tight that it pulls the bark off. For some of us, that's blank. That has come before God. And he's calling us and he's saying, I have so much better for you. And when you rip that vine off of the tree, the tree grows healthier and it's able to flourish. And, and for some of us, we've got something tentacled to our hearts and we know it's there and we say, I can't get rid of it. I gotta, I gotta keep it because it is so important to me. It means so much to me. It's my precious little treasure. What God wants is our hearts. Because what he offers is so much greater. So my challenge this morning as we think through Adonai, I want us to remember it's about a relationship of a master to his servants. I want us to think of about a response that we have that is to obey. And I want us to think of a reasonableness that there is what he asks is never impossible. It's not too hard. And he will always provide. And he promises, by the way, in that ripping apart of whatever our precious treasure is, the thing that has come before him that has caused us to try and attempt to serve two masters, he promises that he will be there with us, holding our hand and walking through it together with us. And there is nothing so great that we will ever regret giving our whole heart to him. And so I challenge us with that this morning. What are the excuses that keep us from doing His work? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this reminder that You are Master. And Father, we, we didn't even look into many things of what it means that You are Master, that You provide for Your servants, that You take care of them, that You serve bountifully, blessing after blessing. And Father, I pray that as we look at our hearts, that we would consider what areas that we have not submitted ourselves to You. Father, that we would remember that no call, no request, no command is too hard. 
And Father, we thank you for the greatest gift that you have provided through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We thank you, we praise you, and we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.